Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. I'm Jared. I'm Ethan. And today we're going to be talking with Toby Gagnon. Um, Toby is a, a, a jack of all trades, a, a man with many talents and interests. Today we're going to kind of dig into a couple of those uh, interests and talents. Uh, he, he likes everything and he, and he um, likes to share information on everything from firearms to ham radio. So today we're going to be talking more about uh, home and emergency preparedness and, and all the different uh, facets that we can do to help protect ourselves and our home. Thanks for joining us, Toby. Glad to be here, guys. All right, let's dive in. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done. All right. Sounds good. Toby, again, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking the time to come out and uh, meet with us. Um, maybe just give us a little bit of background. I know that you talked about, we were talking beforehand how really there's no like certification or, or a credentialed person for home preparedness or emergency preparedness. And like, I think it just comes down to knowing your personality and knowing that you're a man who is a prepared person and a meticulous person. And then, you know, knowing that and then knowing that you, this is a passion of yours, I'm like, well, there's no other expert that I know. <laughs> this is so that's why we're, you know, really excited to have you on today and talk about this. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm glad to share whatever I know. Like you mentioned, there's, there's really no way to get credentialed. I'm sure, you know, somebody would say, oh, through FEMA or through the Red Cross or something like that. And those organizations are fantastic sources of knowledge. But when it comes to it, I mean, it, it's so unique to each individual that, having that credential is a good thing if that exists, but also understand that you don't necessarily have that, have to have that to understand a little bit of, of stuff that other people might be able to learn from. So I'm happy to share what I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure a lot of it comes down to experience as well. I mean, having like really dug in and, um, you know, potentially living that life or, or kind of practicing what you preach to a certain extent to say, okay, this is what I've done and it, and it worked or it hasn't worked. And, and this is what I would suggest in your specific situation because everybody's a little bit different. Everybody's maybe everybody's house is set up differently. Everybody's uh, family dynamic is different. And so I'm sure there's different requirements for different people. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I really like it. We were talking about uh, it earlier. The, the true way to learn something is to be required to teach it. And then, you know, you're going to really dig in. You're going to make sure you know your stuff. And whenever you, well, hopefully you do. I guess you don't always have to. I've, I've sat in some, some uh, with, with some professors that uh, didn't sound like they, they knew what they were talking about. But maybe that was just me. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> was that the professor that you asked him at the geology class after you're like, what about hollow earth theory? And he's like, don't talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah, that was just, just because I'm a pain in the rear of it. It's probably better than flat earth theory, though. Yeah. If, if he sort of said that, he's like, you get an automatic F in this class. <laughs> I, I would say hollow is worse. Hollow is worse. Yeah. You worse than hollow, flat? Yeah. Oh, way worse than flat. Really? Because at least with flat, you're saying there is an earth. With hollow, you're almost saying there's nothing here. It's all on the surface. No, man, that's, that's where the, well, the, that's where the not, Germans dug into. They found the center the, to the... Yeah, it's not all on the surface because there's an earth inside the earth. Oh. That's where the... I need more education. Yeah, that's where the dinosaurs still live. Oh. Yeah, yeah they oh, escaped to the I've hollow I've seen that earth. on Ice Age. <laughs> yeah. My son makes me watch that movie. <laughs> 
There's a book called The Smoky God uh, that apparently details a story about a, a man, that him and his dad went sailing up in the North uh, Arctic and they got lost. They went into the hollow earth because there's a, yeah, that's where you can enter at the poles. Oh, I'm surprised um, you didn't know that. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. you didn't know that. That's why they don't allow flights to go over the North Pole because, you know, all of a sudden you'd be like going into the hollow earth. That's where Admiral Byrd uh, he was in Antarctica. Anyway, I'm going way too in depth. So there's, about a, this. there's a hollow inner aerospace of the Earth, then too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Supposedly, that has its own flight patterns and right. everything. Yeah. In fact, there was like uh, there was a, a thing called Operation High Jump, I think, and it was in Antarctica. And this guy, Admiral Byrd, all the hollow Earth theory is people are like, oh, he said he saw something beyond the pole. He said he saw the land beyond the poles. And apparently, it was the government had built Operation High Jump as like a an Arctic exploration, but really what it ended up, I mean, there was like a ship that got sunk and a bunch of people that died and they think they went down there and fought the Germans uh, or the Germans might have had some kind of alien craft that they had or so. There's a lot of conspiracy. Any good conspiracy theory always goes back to the Germans. Good to know. <laughs> I want to go home and do some research after this. There's so much stuff out there. And, and, and that, that is just the tip of the iceberg with crazy stories that exist out there. But <laughs> We should an episode on that. Yeah, we should do an episode on that. <laughs> I won't be your guest, <laughs> but I will listen. You can listen to it. Yeah, I bet you'd like it. So, uh, well, let's, let's, let's dive into something that you do know about. Um, and this is something that, uh, you know, the kind of two facets we want to talk about today is one, home protection uh, in regards to tactical readiness of, of your home. And then at the end, other than, not the end, but kind of in the second part of the podcast, we want to talk about just home emergency preparedness. Everything that's happening in Texas right now. Is a con- should be a concern to everybody, a wake up call to everybody, and I want to talk about how we can ready ourselves uh, for a situation like that. Yeah, let's do it. So let's talk first about ho- home protection. Um, what what are some simple ways that that you get your house tactically ready for maybe a, a different scenario? Maybe let's talk about what scenarios might you're planning for or, or, or preparing that might happen. Right. So when People think about getting their home ready tactically for something. They're always going back to that that default. Oh, somebody's going to kick in my front door. Somebody's going to come and try to burgle my house. Yes, that absolutely happens. But I would argue there are far more likely events, if you want to talk tactically, that you should prepare for. Number one being a house fire. What happens if your home catches fire? Do you have a fire extinguisher? Do you have fire blankets? If you have children on the second floor, do you have fire ladders to get out of those windows? Things like that are all your fire extinguishers on the first floor, and then you are upstairs sleeping. Things like that, believe it or not, are are tactics, right? You're you're tactically staging equipment through the house. It doesn't have to be offensive equipment or defensive equipment. It could be anything. If you cut yourself in the kitchen cutting anything for dinner, do you have a first aid kit nearby that you can, you know, uh, treat yourself or someone else, have somebody else treat you. Do you have that stuff? So when you think tactics, people immediately default to firearms. Yeah. But sure. that's not always the case. You know, more far more likely, in the seminars that I talk about, you're far more likely to need ibuprofen than a tourniquet. But you should know how to use both, right? So when it comes down to it, yes, absolutely. Prepare for that home burglary. But at the end of the day, understand that it's far more likely you're going to cut yourself in the kitchen with a knife. Or even maybe carbon monoxide poisoning, stuff like that. Like yeah. making sure your fire alarms are all are all up to date. And right. Battery. Yes. Batteries, exactly. Batteries, rotation, things like that. But all of that has one underlying theme, and that is a plan. Right? So at the end of the day, 
doesn't matter what it is. If you cut yourself in the kitchen and people don't know that you have a first aid kit, right? People, you should have a plan and you should communicate that plan to other members of your household, whoever that is, whether it's your, your spouse, children, if you have uh, parents that live with you, whatever that is, you got to have a plan and people got to know that plan. Yeah. I think we have a first aid kit. We have, I have a first aid kit in my truck. I know that inside the house, I think we have one upstairs in the bathroom, but really it's just the paper towels, right? <laughs> you yeah. You cut get, yourself. You're going to run over to the sink and you're going to be like, uh, now I got to go find something. I got a bunch of paper towels. <laughs> Call 911 and, and hope they get here in time. Right. Yeah. No, they won't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I like the example of the fire. Um, you know, I just think of that in my own house. It's like, oh, you think, okay, well, if there was a fire, then you know, I would wake up and I'd make sure to go around all the, you know, couple rooms and grab all the kids. And I, I've got four kids. And it's like, oh, I grab all the kids and I'd run out or whatever. And it's just like, but is that really how it would go down? It would be a much more possibly panic situation where everybody's sleeping and you don't know or, or you know, something's wrong with the smoke alarms or whatever else might happen. Um, but yeah, just to uh, have a plan, I think is important. And I like what you had said about not just have a plan because I could have a plan, but if my wife doesn't know about it, then she's scrambling, trying to, you know, do something and we're almost, you're, you're fighting each other to, in, in, in time of crisis to, yeah. to resolve, resolve the issue. John Lovell probably said it best. He said in, in the moment, that's not the time you should be communicating the plan. The plan should have been communicated long before. So in the moment, there is no communication. The communication's already been done, and you're acting. Yeah, you're that, acting in the moment. Is that the guy from a Warrior Poet? Warrior Poet. Warrior Society, Poet. Yeah. yeah, Warrior Poet Society. I like that. I, it it should be muscle memory, and for your kids too. Like they need to practice. One one thing that I've heard that we actually did when we were younger, kind of an emergency, we had a fire escape plan. We had a spot that was outside of our house where we would rendezvous. Uh, you know, meet you know at the mailbox or something like that, or across the street or at the neighbor's house. Uh, to where everybody would go to. And, and like you said, the, the ladder is an important thing. Like in my house, where there's kind of one choke point. There's only one set of stairs that goes up in your house too. Mm-hmm. And, and so like if there's a fire and it's down at, at the bottom of the stairs, we can't get, and there's smoke coming up the stairwell, we have to like do something else. Right. And, you know, and, and it's better to have already thought that through than like in the moment when you're panicked and there's smoke filling the house and you're like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get a baby? And then a two year old and then a four year old and a six year old out of this second story window and my wife, you know, and myself. And that's, that would be overwhelming in itself, much less having to have a fire under you. Yeah. And something else that it, the male ego gets in the way of a lot of things and not the least of which is thinking oh, in the moment I'm going to rise to the occasion. I'm going to go be the hero. Think of, of, car accident scenes and the people getting out of their car they look like they don't know where they are they're walking around without shoes on on broken glass and they don't realize it because they're lost in the moment they, they don't know they're in shock mm-hmm. who's to say you're not going to go into shock right I, you want to believe that when the time comes you're going to be able to go do and all the go do all those heroic things but realistically you got to have a plan because if something happens and somebody can't carry their weight for whatever reason either they're injured or they're in shock or maybe they just forgot the plan you want other people to be able to step up yeah. Right. So, you know, if you think about your kids too with that ladder, what, God forbid, what happens if the fire is in between you and them? Yeah. Then what? Do they have the knowledge of how to get that ladder out their own window and climb down? And where are you going to meet them? Right. It, think back to the fire drills we had in school growing up. It was like, all right, everybody on the playground. And, you know, Miss Shaw's class, you're over on the four square court. And, and Mr. Smith's class is on the basketball court. Everybody had a place to be. And you kind of knew that. Yeah. So that, when you talk tactics, Tactics are just all of the mechanics being applied in the moment based on the situation. That's all tactics are. 
Mm-hmm. So, so what type of uh, we talked about tactics, talked about having a plan and, and that muscle memory. What kind of skills or, or, or classes or training or, or practices can you do to get to that point? Uh, I mean, it, it you could just say, I mean, what do you sit down as a family and write your plan together, or do do I need to go and take first aid classes, or do I need to do different things? I mean, what, what would be your suggestion on something that I can do actively, not just writing down on a piece of paper, but in, in preparation for some sort of event. Right. So my personal belief is if you are a parent, you should have CPR, AED, and first aid and pediatric. That's just my belief. As a parent, I want to be prepared. I want to have had that training, even if it's just something I can look back on and say, oh, I got a cool little pin when I left. That's great. But odds are I left with some knowledge, some knowledge that I didn't have when I walked in the door, how to perform CPR on a newborn. It's not how you perform CPR on yeah. an adult. It's completely mm-hmm. different, right? So having that just basic first aid class, I think is extremely important. And then from there, yes, absolutely. If your family is at the age, your, your children are at the age where they can contribute to a plan, they should absolutely be involved in the planning process. Because not only, th- think back to, to something that you had when you were a kid, whether it was a bicycle or something, if you fixed it, if you bought it, there was a sense of ownership over it yeah. and you cared for it a lot more, right? So it's the same thing with the plan. Let them feel a sense of ownership and and purpose and responsibility if they're mature enough to do it, right? And, but you got to understand what that family dynamic is in your own household. And trust, trust, but verify. Trust, but verify. Always trust, but verify. Yeah, I like that. That's very good. I mean, I think it's whenever your kids are of age, it, it, you sh- I think it's important to include them in a lot of family decisions, and that helps them become independent and, and more involved and in, in invested in whatever they're doing. Yeah, even if it's dinner time. Hey, what do you want for dinner? Because then they're probably going to eat that dinner. Right now, it would be pizza every single day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> Got or, or, here. Yeah, or you require them to help you cook it, and then they'll be more invested in it. And it's like, yeah, well, you made it. If you don't like it, then... And that's a life skill going forward. Yeah, because then when they get their own apartment, it's not frozen pizzas every night. It's, <laughs> hey, you know what? I might actually buy some pasta and boil it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, I, I do want to talk about um, tactical, like, in the case of... Because, you know, with all this civil unrest that we've had in this past year... Um, I think that's become a concern for a lot more people because, you know, you see sometimes where there's people walking through the neighborhood, people's neighborhoods, like shouting and stuff and breaking bottles on their front porch or, 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 or saying that they're going to come in their house and take their stuff. Um, how do I, what is the best way to prepare for that? I guess. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a big question, but yeah. what are your thoughts on, on a situation like that? Right. So, so the best thing that you can do is quite frankly, in any preparedness, whether you're preparing for your home, preparing for your, your vehicle, your place of work, your place of worship, whatever that is, there needs to be a community there. Mm -hmm. So first thing I would say is get to know your neighbors. You don't have to like them, but get to know them, build Mm -hmm. that trust, start establishing that maybe blow their leaves out of their yard one year or something, or, or bring their trash can back one week, whatever it is, start developing that community because they're your eyes and ears when you can't be looking out the window, yeah. right? So when it comes to something like that, let's let's take the example you gave of somebody in your neighborhood acting a fool, right? Yeah. What do you do? Well, first thing you do is you observe them, mm-hmm. understand, try to get, try to be the best witness you could be. Quite frankly, when they start making threats, if they start making threats, then you've got to understand all of that stuff that you didn't want to pay for six months ago because ah, it's kind of expensive. 
you're going to wish you had it in that moment. And that's kind of a theme that we'll have, I'm sure, as we continue through the podcast is, <laughs> yes, things cost money. Yeah. But when you need it, what would you be willing to spend on it? What's your life worth, yep. realistically? Yep. More, than, like? more than it cost. More than it cost. Hopefully more than it cost. Well, exactly. Yeah. So in that situation, yeah, okay, uh, observe them. Call the police. That's exactly what they're there for. If you don't trust the police in your community, go and understand who they are. Get to know them. Maybe help them change their policing habits in your community. Whatever that is. Call the police. Uh, be the best witness you can be. Do not approach them. Do yeah. not try to be the hero of the block. If Even if you are, let's say, a block captain in a neighborhood watch program, fantastic. Guess what? In the court of law, you're still just a citizen. And if you pursue that fight, you're going to be, you know, severely punished for it. Like the the couple that came out on their front porch and waving pistols and ARs at people, yeah. and, and I mean, they I, got, I it goes confiscated. Yeah, I, I don't know the See, whole. That's a, like that's brandishing a firearm. So that, that's one right, thing I've, yeah. I've kind of been looking into. It's like, what is like the the laws around brandishing a firearm? If someone's yeah. like throwing bottles or like multi cocktails at my house and I aim a gun at them. Can I go to jail for that? Or is like, are they going to confiscate my guns for that? So a lot of that is by your locale. Mm-hmm. I would tell you in states like California um, or other states in the Northeast, you your rights, unfortunately, are not as broad or as free as they might be, say, in Texas yeah. or in another state, maybe in the Midwest. Yeah, I mean, you got to know the, the laws yeah. in your locale. And the best way to do that, quite frankly, is to take a concealed carry class because part yeah. of that that curriculum is teaching legal, the yeah. law. And not just not just the laws that's written in the books, right? Not just general statute law, but case law. Hey, this person took somebody to court or the state took somebody to court. The outcome was this, and this is how it affected law going forward and how mm-hmm. the law is interpreted. So it's not just general statute, it's, it's case law. Yeah. Yeah, that's... You know, I guess you just got to know by state by state what the what the roles are, and there's you stand your ground, and castle doctrine, and there's so many different things. And then, the, you know, in some cases you have the duty to retreat, and in other right. cases you have no duty to retreat. So it's so important to know those those local and and, and also where you have the duty to retreat. Do do you have a duty to retreat at your place of business? Do you have a duty to retreat on the street? Do you have a duty to retreat in your uh, retreat in your own home? Those can vary based on where you are as well and also what state you're in. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's good to know. But going back to your example of what do you do if, so, I mean, it's, there's so, I wish I could say, oh, here's, here's the magic pill you <laughs> yeah, take. Yeah. Here's the right answer. Yeah. It really truly is going to be based upon not only their interaction, right, what they're doing, mm-hmm. but how they respond to input. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you step out in the front porch and start hollering at them, are they cowards? Do they run away? Do they find another neighborhood? Yeah. Or do they turn and come at you? Are they, are they the aggressor, et cetera? There's so many different things. What I would always try to tell people is, look, don't get involved if you don't have to be involved. Yeah, There's no need to be the knight in shining armor. Now I would tell you, if you came home and your front door was kicked in and your family was supposed to be here, it's probably going to bring out a different side of you. And yeah. I would say, you do what you need to do to keep your family safe. But I also, yeah. I'm not a lawyer, right? <laughs> so I can say that. Well, yeah. What was, it, what was it dad would always say? Never start it, but always finish it. And it's just yeah, like, well, that might just be you two fighting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they get the verdict still out on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that's great advice. And, you know, there's, it's better just to stay out of it, call the cops, let them do their, their job. Uh, what about in the, in the situation? I wanted to ask you a little bit personally about this. 
because I'm trying to figure out the best way to do this. But let's say someone does break into your home and uh, do you have what is it? What is a great way to have a firearm that's accessible uh, without being too accessible for children? Right. I know there's several safes and, and things like that. But what if you have a shotgun? Like where do you how, how, how do you make that accessible? What's the perfect gun? What's the perfect gun for this home invasion? Right. No. Uh, so the first thing I would tell anybody in that situation, let, let's let's assume your laws give you the right to defend yourself in that scenario. Let's just make that assumption. From there, you actively have a threat that you have decided requires lethal force. Mm-hmm. So you're going to use a firearm. What I would tell you is use what you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not comfortable with it, you don't understand how to use it then you're not going to be very efficient with it, very effective with it. Yeah. Um, so to say, you know, hey, honey, hey, the, the, God, go to a gun shop and just listen to the people at the counter. And that's some good entertainment right there. But basically, you could have people saying, oh, you know, I, I told my wife, anybody kicks in that front door, just grab that 12-gauge and rack it. Does she know where the 12 gauge is? Isn't that what Joe Biden he, said? He, he told her to the back porch and fire two shots <laughs> yeah. and a double barrel shotgun so you're out of ammunition. That's a great, great <laughs> idea. Um, I've I, got I, a gun and now I'm out. <laughs> I, I uh, know a, a friend of a friend who um, recently told a story about how he every morning he wakes up and he goes, um, uh, him and his wife wake up early, they eat breakfast, and then uh, he goes to work and she uh, just goes back and lays down in bed. And uh, her husband uh, one morning went to work, and her, her his wife went back, and there it's just him and his wife in the house, and um, they're older, you know, maybe seventies, um, and his wife heard somebody sneeze, and she thought that her husband came home, and um, she was like, "That's weird," and so she kind of was dozing off, and she heard it again, and so she called her husband and was like. Um, hey, are you home? And he's like, no. And she's like, well, somebody's in the house. And so he goes, uh, okay, well, uh, you know, stay in the bedroom. And he said, uh, go in the closet and get my my pistol and then go and, and, and you know, sit there and point at the door. I'm on my way home right now. Well, the only pistol he had was a 44 Magnum that she had no idea. And, and he was like explaining to her how to, uh, you know, you know, how to hold it or how to, how to load it and all that kind of stuff as he's sitting there. And, um, uh, it was somebody who was listening to the story was like, you know, well, do you know what would have happened? Talking to the wife, do you know what would have happened if you would have shot that? And she was like, no, what? Like she'd never shot it before. And it's just like, well, it would have ended up your teeth on the floor potentially if you weren't ready for it. Um, but I think a lot of that goes to the preparedness is, is yeah. It, what a great time to become a firearms instructor on the phone in a moment of, uh, moment of panic. Yeah. And yeah, any firearms sure. instructor will tell you the last person you teach is your spouse. Be the last person you teach is your spouse. Yeah. Well, he end of the story. He came home and he went through the whole house and there's nobody in the house. So I don't know if she was hearing phantom sneezes or whatever it might be. But I mean, luckily, but still a good lesson. Yeah. Luckily, she didn't have to shoot it. But from that point on, she was like, I feel like I need to be more comfortable with what we're doing. Yeah. Maybe we should get something other than a forty-four magnum. Right. Well, it comes comes Desert down to plan, right? I'm, I'm, there's somebody in the house. What do I do? Well, you should already have a plan for this. Mm-hmm. You should you should have communicated that plan. And if that plan was go after a firearm, well, then she needs to shoot the firearm. Yeah, to your point, go out to to a range and shoot a forty four Magnum, even with forty four Special in it. Yeah, she yeah. probably will realize real quick that that's not something that she like. First of all, they're heavy. They're just heavy guns in yeah. general. Even if you don't shoot them, her arms are probably really tired at the end. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, and that's why uh, personally, I think that 
a shotgun is 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 negative downside to a shotgun. I feel that is is not easily um, you can't easily secure it. Uh, upside though is that you know if my wife needs to shoot it, she doesn't have to be super experienced. I mean, she has she, she needs to know how to use it, but she doesn't need to be a marksman with it um, to be able to neutralize a threat. And also, I don't want to you know we're, we live you know semi close to the neighbors, so if someone's unloading a you know, a pistol that could hit the neighbor's house. And I, I would never want that yeah. to happen. So, so there's, there's really a couple of things here. Availability, right? Know that you can access it, but not too easily to your point. Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to be different, whether it's a safe or a gun cabinet or a high uh, shelf or something. a high shelf is not necessarily the best thing. Cause yeah. once a kid learns how to use a stool, man, they get everything right. Yeah. Um, uh, so I would say probably not a high shelf, but maybe concealable furniture that is RFID or magnet. Uh, activated something like that Mm -hmm. you got to definitely store it and that's not just a good responsibility that's the law that is the law in almost every state you need to to store those to protect minors and you go to jail if you don't Um, so that's the first one availability next is effectiveness right at the end of the day is it going to be effective and you can look up stats on effectiveness by pistol rifle shotgun and you'll see that a rifle is the most effective but it's still not a hundred percent i mean people can get shot with rifles and still be uh, able to continue to do bad things so effectiveness uh, maneuverability if you're going to move through the home how effective is that 12 gauge going to be right because it's not a pistol grip it's a pistol grip 18 inch barrel 12 gauge that's going to kick and i've seen some great youtube videos i'll show you after people at ranges and they pull it and it ends up behind them right so (laughs) right exactly just disappear right yeah uh visibility right do you have a light on that because positive identification is a good thing because the last thing that that husband and wife situation would want hey sit behind the door and if you hear something just shoot and then all of a sudden he comes home yeah. Right. So you, you got to have visibility and communication in that sense. Yep. And then uh, that's what happened to that one guy, that Olympic, that Paralympic guy. Right. He shot. Uh, he yeah. showed. Supposedly, he thought there was an intruder, and he shot through the door of the bathroom, and ended up killing his girlfriend. Depends on what side of that legal yeah. argument you want to listen. Yeah. Exactly. To. Yeah, it's he was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Supposedly, think that's right. the story. That's his story. Yeah, that that's story. that's a, a good story to tell the defense lawyer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and then uh, last is accessories, right? So with that twelve gauge, right, you, you've got to understand. Okay, what realistically could I put on this that could help me? Lights, uh, optics of some sort, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, something that's going to aid you. I would also say, understand over penetration might be a thing. You worried about your neighbors with uh, with a pistol round? Yes, absolutely. But if you look at, for instance, a 55 grain 223 round mm-hmm. coming out of an AR, it was designed to pitch in yaw, i.e. tumble, mm-hmm. as it hits anything, whether it's sheetrock or whatever. So mm-hmm. it becomes less ballistic at that point. Yeah. It does, it's no longer really a bullet. It's just so, a, potentially fragments, too, or right. whatever else might happen. Exactly. Too. Greater velocity into something like that, usually a small thing was going to break down quicker, exactly. Yeah. Versus a one-ounce slug or an ounce and an eight slug going mm-hmm. through everybody's house in the neighborhood. I mean, <laughs> very little is going to stop that. And I think one, t- one, one thing, too, is that, um, you know, if you're... And I guess it depends on barrel length and everything like that. But even if you're shooting like birdshot at somebody that's 10 yards away, it might, it, if it doesn't have much time to spread out, then it's going to act like a slug would anyway. Right. Um, so, and that's the other thing you bring up a good point. 
pattern. Patterning a shotgun, people think, I don't have to aim with this thing. And if you've ever patterned a shotgun or you've gone out and tried to shoot clay pigeons with one, you know, hey, why, why can't I just hit everything? It should be, I, that's what they told me in the movies. I just pull the trigger and it magically pops. <laughs> there, there is a, a point at which that shot is spread. Effectively, say, as wide as a hallway, 36 inches, and it's not six feet. Yeah. So. And, and at the, uh, one of the things that you said as well is that it depends on your situation in your home. I mean, if you've got, I don't know, long hallways or you've got maybe more of an open layout or floor plan or whatever it may be, maybe something different is specific to, to, to your situation. And it comes down to comfort. Comfort and, yeah. and competence with that, whatever it is. And people want to say, oh, well, what's the perfect caliber? Quite frankly, a twenty two is better than a sharp stick. So, I mean, at that point, yeah. anything's better than nothing what you're comfortable with and what you can handle. Don't poo-poo a 22. Mm-hmm. What about, I like that. It's like, that should be our, uh, our, our <laughs> Instagram the, post for this week. Yeah. Don't poo-poo a 22. The name <laughs> of the pot. Yeah. The, 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 this episode we're going to talk about, don't poo-poo the 22. So uh, just a quick question on accessories. Uh, I, I noticed that sometimes people use strobe lights, mm-hmm. um, also lasers. What are your thoughts on, on either of those? I, I prefer a strobe to a laser. Mm-hmm. A laser... If it's, let's say, a red laser, mm-hmm. you see it at the point that yeah. it's lit, and you see it at the point that it touches. There's nothing really in Unless between. Unless you have a green laser. So people think, oh, they're going to see that laser on them. They're going to know. Yeah. Yeah. When was the last time you looked down at your chest while you're committing a crime, right? Yeah. It, it just, it, well, we're not criminals, fallacy. so we wouldn't know. Exactly. So <laughs> you, you, you think about that. It's like these people yeah. aren't going to see that. Green yeah. lasers, okay, well, now they know where you are. But a bright light, usually a in the night. A strobing light would a be. Bright, a bright strobing light in a otherwise dark scenario can be disorienting totally you know i mean there's a reason the military has used light and sound flashbangs or whatever disorientation or even just like an um flash what is it an lrad it's basically a a a big sound device that pierce provides piercing sound to incapacitate the enemy they basically drop their guns and cover their ears really yeah yeah you can look that one up that's a new tech actually if you ever watched uh what was that show with the the ship with the pirate logo that was trying to save the whales um, I can't think of the name of the show on the Discovery or History. Oh, Channel. is it was it a Blackfish? Well, that doesn't ring a bell. But anyway, they had one on their their boat where they were trying to stop the Chinese or Japanese whaling, uh, and they put one of those sound machines on their boat to try to really? incapacitate Deter, the people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The whalers. Yeah. I heard speaking along those lines. Um, the those big cargo ships the, to stop the pirates. You know. Um, uh, they, I've heard that one of the songs that, uh, they'll, they'll play real loud music to, to prevent these Somalian pirates or whatever from like overtaking the ship. And I've heard that Britney Spears oh. very loud is very effective at, you know, deterring these guys from coming on. Interesting. Board. Yeah. Like hit me baby one more time, just crank it all the way up and they're like, Oh, it's not even worth it. <laughs> as anymore. you're, as you're spraying them with a fire hose. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So I think kind of rounding that whole question and conversation into one thing, I think the biggest thing, like you said, is comfortability with whatever you do. Don't make it your first time is the time that you need it. Um, Have a plan, communicate that plan, practice that plan, and understand that in in that moment of panic, that's not the time to learn or communicate. Yeah. We, we briefly talked about the some of the legal ramifications, and it depends on, you know, it's a state-to-state basis or whatever it may be. Um, do you ever... Um, I know there's lots of different companies out there. Like I think it was the USCCA, the United States Concealed Carry Association, and, and that it's like you can belong to this group. And then if you ever get in a situation where you 
have to defend yourself or use your firearm, then you have access to a bunch of lawyers or whatever it may be. Are you familiar with any of oh, those yeah. type of situations? Um, and, and what's your, your so, thought so on situations, that? So situations, no. The the groups, yes, groups because I am yeah. a member of the U.S. Law Shield. Okay. So I am a, a concealed carry holder, and I have insurance for that. Another way you could look at that would be like an umbrella policy, you know, up and above, over and above yeah. your, your homeowner's policy, right? Umbrella policies can be good. U.S. Law Shield is the one that I chose based on my research. You could go USCCA. You could go with something like an NRA carry guard or mm-hmm. whatever there are, whatever it is now. So yeah. are those insurance policies, mm-hmm. or are they just like? Yes, yeah, just this is an insurance policy. Oh, okay. Yep. And I would say consider this too, right? As a firearms instructor, I carry instructor's insurance. But at the end of the day, I could just choose not to teach classes, so I don't need instructor's insurance. But I don't get to pick and choose when bad things happen to me. I don't get to pick and choose when the fight starts. Yeah. So that's where, in my opinion, insurance really comes into play. And the good thing about U.S. Law Shield that I found was it's not just firearms either, right? So it's not just that. If you have to defend yourself with a bladed weapon or with your fists, that's all covered under the policy. Interesting. Hmm. Which is which sometimes is potentially more likely than I mean I guess if someone's right. not a concealed carry holder or whatever it may be. Yeah. I have a question for you. If you don't feel comfortable answering it, you can just let me know and we can cut it out. Yeah. But I do want to hear your answer. Uh have you ever been in a situation where you've had to pull your gun on someone? So have I pulled my gun and pointed it at someone? No. But there have been plenty of situations where I was for instance, I'll give you a perfect example. Um Right before all this COVID mess started, I was coming home with my family. We were coming home from wherever we were, and we have a security system at our house. And I won't say what, because I think there's a, something operational security. Yeah. You know a security system I have, you might know how to defeat it kind of thing. So yeah. we come home, and I got was getting a notification as I'm pulling into our community. Hey, you know, motion at your front door. Front doorbell rang. Okay, so somebody's at our house. So we pull up the camera. Okay, yep, there's somebody standing there. Somebody that we don't know looks like he's selling something. Okay, we don't want that. Well... We're not home. We're pulling down the road, and this same individual is now, as we're pulling into the driveway with my young son and my wife in the car, He uh, he's walking up the driveway as if he's going to come and talk to us. And I don't know this person. They don't have any identifying markers on or anything like that. But it got to this, the point where, you know, I, I opened my car door because I'm in my driveway. I've got nowhere to go. He's In order to get around and put something between us, I would have to get out of the car and move. Yeah. Um, I, as I exited the vehicle, I just kind of stood up. And at that point, uh, I had already had my pistol out and it was on the seat out of view. Nobody saw it, but mm-hmm. my wife sitting in the passenger seat. And I started giving him verbal commands like, Hey man, why don't you go ahead and stop right there? I don't know who you are. I don't want you to close the distance. I don't want you to get close to me to where you can all of a sudden take me. And, and all of a sudden you have access to this vehicle, which includes my wife and my child. Yeah. So at that point, uh, he kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And I raised my voice to him, almost like a father would to a child or yeah. like an officer would to a suspect. And at that point, the gun was in my hand behind my back, not pointed at him. but it So was, you were standing right in the doorway and you pulled I, it off I the seat. I was standing, yes. Yeah. I, had, I had one foot on the ground, one foot in the vehicle. So if I needed to leave, I could just hop, hop in the vehicle and put it in drive and drive away. Uh-huh. If I needed to act, if he pulled a weapon, I was prepared. But he didn't see that. There, there was a, uh, the driver's door between yeah. me and him, thankfully. And at that point, I think he understood. You were uh, serious. Yeah, there, there's something in his voice, something in his tone that made, it's something in my tone that made him stop. And he decided he was going to visit one more house on the street that was further down on the road from our house. 
So he turned around and, and walked down the sidewalk and went the other way. After a brief exchange, I believe his words were something like, hey, man, it's just a sidewalk. I'm, I'm allowed to be here. To which I responded, yeah. And that was it. And it was just like, okay, yeah, I, I see you. I understand you. At that point, you know, you, you start to go through, what I started to go through was taking mental note. Okay, color shorts, what color shirt? Does he have any identifying markers, tattoos, long hair, piercing, sunglasses, whatever. And he went down, visited another house, at which point in time I got my family inside the house and then proceeded to watch him continue on his route. So yeah. I would tell anybody out there doing door-to-door sales, which I believe you did. I've done that, You've yeah. You've done that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Understand that every door that you knock on could have a gun behind it. I, I probably had at least five guns pointed at me while I was doing right. that. Right. Yeah. Two of them. Two of them were like at me, at me, like I saw the barrel, and at there was at least two other ones or three other ones that were like, just so you know, I'm pointing a gun at you through the door or whatever. Maybe. Right. I'm like, okay. Sounds like you already have a security system. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and the thing is, to me, is that 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 wasn't you know I think it's a it's a respect type of thing, you know, in, in a lot of times if someone said, you know, get off my property, then, you know, I'd be respectful and get off. Right. You know, it's mm-hmm. not worth my life or it's not worth causing, you know, an issue. It's like, Hey, okay, thanks man. Have a good day. Like, so, well, actually now that you bring that up, uh, there's been a, my wife was telling me that, uh, recently in this area, there's been situations where some guy has been like going off the handle. Like he's, he's a door to door guy. And uh, lots of people reported him on Facebook and he'll like knock on the door and basically if you refuse whatever he's selling, probably solar because everybody's trying to sell solar here, uh, he just starts cussing and calling people racist and and like really like digging into people. And like, uh, in fact, one of our our friends uh, the other day, she's like, this guy just just basically cursed me out and, and was yelling at me on my own doorstep. And she's like, what? Like, I'm not interested. I'm sorry. And then he's just like you know, calling her names and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's pretty scary. Yeah. So I, I taught a seminar about uh, how, to, how to make your home less of a target to criminals. And yeah. I referenced an article that was written by a, a, a news station up near the Great Lakes area. And they actually interviewed people who were in jail for burglary, mm-hmm. which one could argue maybe they weren't the smartest say they got caught, right? But these are career criminals. And they were able to answer anonymously, and there were 17 questions. And one of the questions was, like, did you case the joint before you did? And a lot of them said, yeah, I would just go to the store and buy a clipboard and a high-vis vest, and that was my thing. And they're like, well, what would you do if somebody answered the door? I would ask them if, if they were interested in something astronomical, whatever it was, to which they would say, you know, no or whatever. And from there, from that conversation, oh, are you the head of the household? No. Oh, well, is your husband home? No, he's gone during the day. Well, guess what? I just learned what time your husband's not home. So, oh, you you going out? Yeah, and I'm leaving. I'm headed out. I got to take the dog to the vet. All right. So in 15 minutes, I'm coming back, kicking in your front door and taking all your val- valuables. That was one thing that I was always amazed that people would give people, and maybe it's just because they're not thinking about it, but they'll give you so much information. Yeah. and Very trusting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's... That's cultural. I mean, yeah, cultural, good thing or bad thing. I mean, I think it's good to be kind to people, but still, it's like you got to kind of keep it close to the vest to a certain right. extent with people that you don't know. So, so, <laughs> uh, don't advertise. Gosh, don't advertise. Don't brag about valuables. Don't do that kind of stuff. Don't say, oh yeah, you know, we just bought all this all this expensive stuff. We just came into all this money. Don't leave your garage door open for longer than you need to. Don't put stickers on your vehicle. I know your kid is a terrific kid. At you know whatever, Teddy Roosevelt Elementary, 
But now I know you have a kid. And yeah. the stick, my favorite is the stick figures in the back of the car. Because you can tell what they do for a living. Yeah. If they yeah. have a, you know, whatever. How many pets they have. How many kids they have. Roughly of what age. Eh, they're at school today. I know that. You yeah. can see if you know, dad's in the military. Right. Maybe he's on deployment. Maybe right. he's... Or he's a businessman. You know, he's got the little briefcase. Yeah. It, for for the love of, you know, what all of that's, that's <laughs> necessary. Do not advertise. I know it's cool to put all that stuff on your vehicles and on your house, you know, protected by Glock. I know there's a gun in that vehicle. So worst game's the worst. I'm getting in this vehicle. I'm going to have a firearm yeah. when I leave. Right? So just don't advertise. That's the biggest thing that I could say. Don't advertise what you have. Yeah. Totally. Well, I mean, we can talk about this forever. Um, I do want to get to the second part here, though, and that's uh, emergency preparedness for your home in case of situation. Here in the South, we know it's, well, heck, last year we had an earthquake here. We had, right. We've had tornadoes. We've had hurricanes. We've had power outages. We've had, <laughs> you know. Uh, Even you know, just the COVID crisis. Yeah, yeah COVID exactly. crisis. What Toilet are, paper. <laughs> yeah. What are some uh, basic uh, needs that we need to prepare? provide for ourselves um, that we can prepare for ahead of time safety water food shelter heat in that order so safety we already talked about kind of uh, safety could take many forms safety could take the form of a firearm safety could mm -hmm. take the form of a respirator mask or fire extinguisher whatever that is safety first next one was water uh, water uh do you suggest uh, storing water as well as having a water filter yes both absolutely both Store as much as you can afford in as many places as you can. And people forget, too, most homes have a 55-gallon water heater yep. that has a spigot on the bottom. Yep. If it really came down to it, you have 55 gallons stored. Now, at the bottom of that water heater, there is uh, very likely a bunch of sediment that you'll have to get through. That That's just a reality of things, yep. so that's where the filter comes in. But, yeah, store water first and foremost, but always have a means of being able to filter that at the very least at your home. I know they make these things that you can, they're like these big bladders that you can put in your bathtub. Water bob. Yeah. And yeah, then you basically just, you just fill it up from, you know, in case of emergency or something's going to happen, you just fill it up and sit in your bathtub. Wouldn't it just, be great to know when emergencies are going to happen though? Well, I mean, if like a, if a hurricane was coming or something like that right. and, you, and you wanted to kind of prepare, you know, you could certain instances, absolutely get ahead hurricanes. Of it, yes, absolutely. Earthquake. There's no, no way of knowing. Volcano. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I would hope you would have some sort of inkling knowing that, hey, I live near a volcano. Yeah. Something like that. Um, pandemics, right? Yeah, depending on how quick. Uh, yeah. What if a plane crashes? What if a plane came down? If you're in a flight path and a plane came down or a piece of a plane came down, did you see that report? It was yeah. like last yeah, week. Yeah, it landed like on all some of a sudden, car or something like that. It was like or... seven pieces of a plane just came down and he, like, he was able to land the plane. Kudos yeah. to that pilot. Yeah, wow. So, do you? When we talk about water filters. Are you talking about like life straws or no, bigger so, filters? Right. Do you get like a five gallon jug and like the best bang for your buck, in my opinion, is uh, the Sawyer Mini. Sawyer, Sawyer Mini. Mini. It filters like ten thousand gallons of water, something ridiculous, and it's super tiny. Okay. You can put it so like if you have a Nalgene bottle. So in my my Sawyer Mini is kept in a Nalgene bottle with other supplies that I need to then be able to filter that water and then store that water because the Nalgene is now my storage vessel. Yeah. of the filtered water, which is something you got to think about. And I can use any water bottle and screw it onto the Sawyer Mini and just squeeze that water bottle and it'll filter through. Oh, nice. So I prefer the Sawyer Mini, but you could use a life straw. The problem with the life straw yes. is now you've got to stick your face near whatever that is and understand that you can catch contaminants without ever drinking the water. You can get it through touching your eyes. You can get it through absorption into your skin that way. Or if you don't wash your hands after touching the water, 
then you could ingest it that way too. So yep. I prefer the Sawyer Mini. That's just mine. You could go with something really expensive, you know, like um, there's one that you can have in the kitchen that's this huge like stainless steel thing, and I forget the name of it for the life of me, but it's many thousands of dollars. Hmm. But Like a reverse osmosis filter. To yeah. Be, be careful too with like condensation stuff because if you're if you're distilling water, you're losing the minerals. It's just water at that point. Yeah, that's And true. part of water's you know, nutrients are what's in it, you know, with the minerals and things like that. I think an important part of that is knowing where your nearest water source is. Uh, like for example, my house, there's a, there's a stream, uh, just in the woods behind my house. If I needed to, I could go down with the bucket and I could get some water. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, if you're in a situation where you're in the middle of a desert and you're living in Arizona, you need to be storing a whole lot more water or uh, hitting the, the, uh, water table underneath you or having a well that, that goes really deep or something right. like that. So, uh, rain, rain collection. Yeah, that's true. That's another good one that, well, unfortunately some, some areas regulate that yeah, too. You can't, you can't collect rainwater. How nuts is that? Yeah. I've never heard of that before. That's California. Yeah. That's wow. Well. But having a rain barrel is good, especially if you have like a garden or something like that. And it'd be yeah. great, you know, save on money. Yeah. Water. So it was so it was uh, protection, safety, or safety, water, water, food, food. Uh, which, yeah, food. Food is is people love like the the MREs or the Mountain House meals, which are great mm-hmm. uh, for storage capabilities. But realistically, have you ever tried to live on those for an extended period of time? They are not good, and your stomach will hate you after. I've eaten MREs like five days in a row, like for like a long hike that we went on, and yeah. by the end of it, I was like, never again. I was like. At least you didn't have to go I wish, two I was the like, whole time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, was, I was like, I wish I had an actual bathroom and not the woods. Right <laughs> yeah, now. yeah. So with that, I would say try to do what you can. And, and honestly, the best uh, resource for this is the Urban Prepper. So when all of all of this kicked off, you know, it, it gave most folks in a, of a preparedness mindset the opportunity to be like, all right, now it's go time. We get to test all of our stuff. And, and he did a really good video on what he found was that they weren't diving into freeze-dried meals. They were going to their pantry and cooking pastas and, you know, going and, and cooking fresh vegetables that they're harvesting from their own garden. So I would say do your best and think of it too from a morale standpoint, from a psyche. There's more to survival than just physical survival. Yeah. Because if you go crazy, there's just nothing to it. I mean, it, it is what it is. You're not living. The best way to do that is a nice warm meal. Something hot when it's cold and something cold when it's hot goes a long way. And uh, a nice, just normal dinner during COVID was awesome. You could sit tight. We're just having a normal dinner tonight. In an in a emergency scenario like that, like after a hurricane or whatever, imagine how good it would be to sit down and just have a normal meal. So I would say do what you can. Just buy more of what you're already buying and stockpile yeah. that. Just rotate it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what we do. We do kind of a... Uh, an active food storage where we have like we have different five gallon buckets of flour, sugar, rice, that kind of a thing, and we rotate it. We actually bought a freezer for the garage where we have a bunch of chicken and stuff like that. You go to Costco, you can get tons of chicken. Uh, the thing is now is that I'm like, okay, if the power goes out, I've got to now I've got to keep two fridges going, right? Uh, and so that's something I have to consider as well, right? And so that, that I'm sure we'll touch on that later with the the Texas stuff, but um, after. Uh, food comes shelter, mm-hmm. so make sure that your your shelter is good, whatever that is. It could be a tent in the woods, it could be a hammock in the woods, it could be a, a house in suburbia. Make sure that's good, and then heat, right? So I think Texas learned this the hard way, unfortunately, and that is very few homes had fireplaces or anything like that. Heat, even if it's super hot, middle of summer, depends on your locale, right? I mean, it might not get that hot during the summer, and it might still get pretty chilly overnight. And understand that 
55 right now is going to feel balmy, but 55 end of July is going to feel cold. So you're going to want to turn the heat on. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, I was actually looking into that and, and there's so many situations where people are using propane and that fuel does not get burnt all the way, which causes that carbon monoxide, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's two elements of that. Is is it burning efficiently? And then when it does, what is that carbon monoxide or even carbon dioxide? Mm-hmm. What is that looking like? Yeah. So well, what kind of a heater would you suggest someone to do? That, well, like, I would like to have a propane. I have two tanks of propane that I, I in case of, you know, the power does go out, we can still cook and stuff like that. Right. But how, how would I use that? What would you suggest? For me to use that to heat my whole house. home generator with a huge propane tank. <laughs> no, realistically, I mean, it, it comes yeah. down to how what what size space are you trying to heat. And in a perfect world, yeah, of course you'd want to heat the whole house. But realistically, it would be a small room. It would be a, it would be a yeah. room that you could close off, right? So with homes today with open floor plans, they're awesome for entertaining and terrible for heating and cooling. Yeah, right. So you'd have to designate a room that is your hot room or your cold or your climate controlled room, right? Yeah. And then from there, understand that anything outside of that room is just, you're just going to have to deal with it. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's thing. exactly right. Basically what I would do is I would say, okay, the entire family is sleeping in this one bedroom tonight. Uh, and this is the room that's going to be heated. And then everything else is just like, well, wear a jacket, you know, but, 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 but during the evening, that's when I think where the kids are most vulnerable. Right. Uh, you know, that's when, I mean, cause there was stories about kids that were di- kids that had died or, you know, people that uh, had heaters in their homes and they fell over and burned the house down and. Fell asleep and don't wake up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, it's bringing the grill inside. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and understand the ventilation is a real thing. You know, when you use a gas of any kind, you're going to need to vent, which is why, you know, electric fireplaces are not electric ones, but the electrically lit ones that are natural gas or propane, mm-hmm. they vent outside for a reason. Yeah. You know, and that's for safety. So don't think you're going to bring that little Mr. Buddy into the kitchen, just set it up and be done with it. Just keep it, keep it topped off and keep it running. It's going to put out some stuff. And even even says right there on the box, I'm sure it was written by lawyers, but like, hey, don't put this in a closed room. Make sure you've got good ventilation. So you're suggesting really electric type stuff? Well, if you have no electricity, the generator's not going to do you unless you have a generator. But if you have a a generator of sorts, I would say try to find a way to tie that into your home. You can get a panel on the side of your house that isn't, let's say, a whole home generator kind of Mm -hmm. thing. You can have something like that put in for a couple hundred dollars, maybe a thousand bucks. And then you can just figure out which circuits you want to run. You just need to make sure the generator you have isn't powerful enough to supply those circuits with with energy. Yeah. yeah. And also understand that in that scenario, generators make a lot of noise, especially powerful ones to power the home. So then you go back to that tactical element of it is, do you really want to advertise that you have a generator? Yeah, because, I mean, heck, between the houses in my neighborhood, it'd be so loud and everybody would be like, you know, and if it's outside of your house on the At side night, of your panel, two you know, morning, you know, someone's going to come out and you're going to hear, and it's then just going to be gone. Yeah. There's actually stories of people, uh, after hurricanes, uh, coming up and just taking an old lawnmower and putting a zip tie around a handle after they've fired it up and just put it next to the generator, unplug the generator and get going. You're like, damn, what happened to all the electric? I hear the generator running and what they hear is the lawnmower running. No way. Yep. Really? Yeah. Wow. Just to trick people. Just to, to trick people. Just to make. Just to give them that extra time to load it into their vehicle and drive away, or walk around the corner with it. Yeah. Interesting. So buy a generator and some chains, <laughs> chain down to the ground. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, you know, a, a Tesla Powerwall with a solar charging system would be perfect because yeah. it makes no noise. The only challenge, of course, is then it's visible from above. But how many people look up today? That's something else to think about. Very few people look up. 
What, what do you mean? Is it the charging? Is it like what? It's, it's basically it's a huge battery bank that gets yeah. charged by solar. Your, sol- your, your solar panels solar, charge yeah. the battery, which in turn will. I mean, heck, everybody almost almost everybody in my neighborhood has solar power, but a lot of times they don't have the back the battery. It just feeds back into the the grid. Yeah, which oh by the way, solar without a battery, I feel like it doesn't a, work. Yeah, when the power is out. Yeah, I feel like that's totally you're spiking on the one yard line as far as your solar system and becoming. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is that the battery is like half of the cost of solar yeah. right now. Yeah. And the technology is constantly so changing. So you can so. have a battery, you can have a Tesla Powerwall, let's say, without a solar. It'll it'll charge off your AC mm-hmm. and then just stay topped off. And then when the power goes out, yeah, okay, you only have a limited time, but but you do have a Powerwall at yeah. your disposal. It's obviously just not going to recharge. Is that, is that what you have? No. Oh. No. What Powerwall, kind of- so... Battery technology has not cut up with caught up with the solar technology. So once we get some, you know, lithium iron phosphates or something like that yeah. that can discharge further and keep a charge longer and have a longer lifespan, that's when we'll get into that game. Yeah, I have well, I have a really good friend that that uh, worked for a solar company and he's pretty high up. And uh, that was one of the things is that it was like the solar panels themselves. Like we have pretty good technology nowadays for solar panels, but the batteries. I mean, you're gonna spend. 15 grand on a battery and in in five years it's gonna be obsolete right what was that like in uh texas they had all these buses lined up that it needed to be charged electric <laughs> electrically and then they had a diesel generator running the uh the the charging ports so that they could charge these electric yeah. buses yeah and you got the, the helicopter with the petroleum spraying yeah, the, down the wind the wind the windmills yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy so, well it's, what can oil do for you yeah, yeah. seriously well, the, yeah, the, the, there's there's been a lot of uh, I think awesome talking points um, in in this conversation on things that we can do and building a plan and becoming more prepared for lots of great takeaways. Yeah, our our family. I, I know that even just just at my home, uh, I, I'm gonna gonna walk away with some of these things and say, okay, well, I need to get this and get that. And uh, like you said at the beginning, uh, I just want to kind of round it back to that that this stuff costs money. Yeah, right and whether it's, you know, bulking up your food storage or buying, uh, you know, water filters or whatever else it might be, but do what you can and, um, you know, budget it out and it's going to cost less now than it would whenever you need it. Right. You know, what is it like the the cost of generators like skyrockets in an emergency? If you can find them. If you can find them. Um, I was actually at, I was at Costco the other day and there's this big generator. I was like, man, I should really buy that. It was like eight hundred bucks, and I was like, eh, yeah. maybe not. Well, I was like, I'll think about it. Yeah, you get you got to do the math and figure yeah. out. Hey, realistically, what am I going to power and what power? Yeah, what, there was one that was like two hundred bucks. It was like eh, maybe if all I got to do is like inverter my, generator. Yeah, I was like, you know, if all I got to do is my fridge and and maybe one or two other things and my electric toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, well, Toby, I, I just want to ask you before we kind of wrap up here: Is there anything that you wanted to share with us that uh, maybe we didn't get a chance to cover? So, so you brought up a good point when we talked about budgeting, which was, you know, financial is is a big part of preparedness, right? And not, and what I don't mean by that is, oh, you got to prepare for all that big purchase. You're gonna need a couple thousand dollars on a Tesla Powerwall or a generator or whatever it is, but truly getting out of debt and releasing yourself of that financial burden can prepare you for many, many more things down the road. So it it almost goes against what what we're talking here is I'm telling you to go out and spend all this money and do all these things and buy it now because it's going to be more expensive when you need it. But realistically, 
financial responsibility and financial freedom can set you up for far more things in the future than what you could even dream to be possible. So it's something that, um, that was said at one point to me was don't spend money before you have it. Right. Which is a big thing. Yep. And there might be this, this really cool thing you want. You mentioned ham radios earlier. I have one in my cart just ready to go, uh, that I want to buy, but it's a $1,300 purchase and I don't have $1,300 right now to drop on that. Mm -hmm. So don't spend money before you have it. That's the big thing. And financial freedom drives a lot of other stuff. You always look at somebody driving down the road going, their car is nicer than mine. I need a new car now. Or, Jesus, how do they how do they afford a nice, huge, big house like that? Well, it's fi- financial responsibility, and a lot of that comes from budgeting. Yeah, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I would right. say, truthfully... Or they're up to their eyeballs in debt, and it's overspending. To, right, and, and then it comes down to the, exactly the materialism and things like that. But, but budget, get yourself right financially, while also along this journey of preparedness, whether it be your home, your vehicle, your place of work, whatever that is, safety... Right, safety, water, food, shelter, heat in that order, but financial freedom and financial uh, responsibility plays into every thread along that line. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and you're more likely to probably uh, have an unexpected uh, doctor bill or have maybe a job loss or some run to a situation like that than you are for your house to burn down. Flat tire, or, flat tire in a car, yeah. a couple hundred bucks. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I had I pulled out of my driveway the other day, and both of our front tires in our van had flat tires. There were nails in both of them. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I took it over there and they're like, oh, well, you need new tires anyway. So that's 500 bucks I had to spend on all new tires. Yeah. Probably got taken a little bit because, but I was like, I just bought these like two years ago. And they're you like, need well, a plug kit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was going to have them do that. But then they're like, oh, these things are almost worn out anyway. But my point is, is that you got to ha- budget for this stuff. And it's better to have $800 uh, set aside in an emergency fund sometimes in case. Uh, an unexpected bill comes up than having an $800 generator that you're only going to use in a situation that, you know, in all likelihood might not happen, you know, right now. So don't overspend yourself into for preparedness and then where you're hurting uh, in other areas. I got one more thing for you. Yeah. Don't mean to take up all the time. I'm a no, salesperson. No, you gotta, I oh, talk yeah, for ahead. a living. Um, you should go door to door. I should know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we talk about Texas and we talk about the hardships that they faced in a very unlikely scenario. Can you imagine if, if I had told you in January that Texas was going to be frozen for a week and nobody was going to have power or water or anything like that? You'd have been like, yeah, okay, what part of Texas? You know, it's like, well, yeah, no, it's, it's Texas. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to do your best to prepare for what's most likely in your region, whatever that is. If you live near a yep. fault line, prepare for an earthquake. If you live, you know, in the upper northwest, uh, prepare for a volcano or a flood or something like that. Um in Texas, very unlikely to prepare for a freeze, but something that you can do to prepare for those extremely unlikely events is look to places that have those events. Imagine if somebody in Minnesota or Montana went down to Texas and, and, and did a, a consult and evaluation and said, hey, you guys, uh, all your water's above ground. Do you think that's a good thing? Well, yeah, it's hot here. It's all hot all the time. Yeah, but what if it's not, you know? Yeah. Here's what we do. You know, we do this to prepare for such a scenario. So, you could look to places of the country that have those extremes, but that's the best way to prepare for even a, in an unlikely event, as unlikely as Texas freezing. Look to the places that actually have and deal with those kinds of things on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Well, well, Toby, this has been just awesome. I think there's so many great takeaways and stuff that I'm like, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this. Uh, but uh, yeah, at the end of every podcast here, we always 
you know, want to talk about building our creed together as a brotherhood. And uh, we'd like to ask you uh, if, if maybe you would share a part of your personal creed or, or a principle or a guiding principle that you live by uh, that you'd be willing to share with us. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of keep it toward preparedness for this one. It's going to sound corny, guys, but... No, go ahead. You ever seen the movie The Italian Job? Of yeah, course. My, yeah. One of my favorite lines, and something that speaks to me on a, on a daily basis is, I trust everyone. It's the devil inside them I don't trust. What I take away from that, it's a great line, by the way. Um, Charlize Theron, great movie. Anyway, what I take away from that is, generally, people are good. Realistically, generally, people are good. But in the time of crisis, they are going to look out for themselves before they look out for you. So what that means is in an extreme where you're without power for an extended period of time or resources are low, they're going to do what they need to do, what they feel they need to do to make sure their family and their loved ones are safe. And that might include harming you to take your stuff. So I trust everyone. Mm -hmm. It's the devil inside of them I don't trust. If you are paranoid all the time, right? You're that... I'm sure you have friends, man, when I sit at the restaurant, I always face the door and, you know, I'm always, you know, cover your six and always head on a swivel, look over your shoulder and what's that guy doing with his hands? What a paranoid way to live life, right? Yeah. Be aware, be conscious, observe your surroundings for sure. What you're looking for is you're looking for something out of the ordinary in an ordinary situation, right? That's what you're looking for. But don't live life paranoid because what you're going to do is you're just basically going to Prevent yourself from experiencing cultures and things and events and living life, quite frankly. If you yeah. live life, your, your anxiety level is always going to be up, and now you're reliant upon medication, right? So try to do what you can. And so that's kind of part of what I do is I try to live life as though, hey, I trust everyone, but it's the devil inside them I don't trust. And that's really what it comes down to. And thankfully, you know, carrying the burden of being the preparedness-minded person, it's going to feel like a lot at times. Yeah. Um, Thankfully, I have a, a spouse who is amazing, and she reminds me frequently, like, hey, we're in this together. Let me help, because I do get into that situation. I'm sure you guys are the same. You're yep. just like, yeah. I got to do this. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to do what I got to do. And she's like, hey, why don't you why don't you let me carry that load or mm-hmm. whatever it was, phys- physically or emotionally or whatever that is, and then be the protector physically and emotionally and all that stuff for, for the family. It's a heavy burden, and it, I'm thankful to have somebody that can shoulder that load with me. So, yeah, I think that having a teammate in this, especially when you're, you know, in my situation, I've got four kids and my wife is just right there. My teammate, just like you said, and that it's so important that she, um, be in on this plan. And, and as far as our food storage, she's been right. I mean, she basically does all of it, but like we talk about these things, we talk about the plan, we talk about what if scenarios. And, um, and heck she was, she had, we had a stocked pantry weeks before COVID even like really hit bad here because she was like, I, she just has this intuition. Women are very intuitive. And so usually if your wife thinks something and she says, I think we need to do this. Uh, well, it depends on your wife, but believe her or, or at least seriously consider it. Cause, um, you know, they just, it's very, you gotta be a team. Trust, but verify. Yeah. Trust, but verify. Yeah. My wife and I were, uh, we were just coming back from vacation when all of that, all the COVID stuff kind of hit and all the, all the toilet paper was gone everywhere. And, uh, Jared was like, Hey man, I got plenty of toilet paper if you want it. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> okay. Well, and that goes back good. to the community part. <laughs> yeah. Having a community is imperative, right? Don't advertise what you have, but try to get your neighbors involved because if, if they're hurting, odds are you like them and you're going to want to do what you can for them. But that means you're going to dig into your stuff. 
don't teach them. Don't give them a fish. Teach them to fish. Yeah. Yeah. Try to get them prepared. Give them all your expired your expired food storage. <laughs> Here's a bunch of tuna from four years ago. No, because yeah. then, then they're all your medical supplies when they need those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. All well, my Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> yeah. Well, Toby, thank you a lot. Thank, thank you guys. so much Thanks for, for coming. Me out. Yeah, yeah it, it, this has been great. And, and uh, you know, I, I think there's so many other things too. This is just kind of one facet of the things that, you know, we'd love to have you on some other time, maybe yeah. talk more about, you know, maybe firearm specific stuff or even ham radio stuff. I think there's, there's a lot... Um, uh, to to continue to dig. Both into. of those are deep holes, man. Yes, yeah. very deep holes. Um, where uh, if the listeners out there or the watchers, if they want to find more information on some of these topics, I know you do some trainings and you have uh, some of those uploaded on YouTube. Where, where can they find you? Right. So if you go to YouTube and you just search for on target reviews, um, it's uh, you'll find me on there. And I have the educational seminars that I did. There were seven of those. I put those up. And uh, I've got some other stuff out there, but yeah, on target reviews on YouTube is probably the best way to look for that. And if they want to reach me, it's just on target reviews at gmail.com. Simple way to, to find me. Yeah. Great. Well, well, thank you. And then for those out there, um, you can find us on Instagram and also on YouTube uh, at a brother's creed and just look for our logo and, and you'll find us there. So thank you, Toby. And for all those uh, watching, let's uh, and listening, let's build that creed together. All right, let's do it. Thanks guys.